Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to explain. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. Maybe what we need to do here, I'm thinking, is to have a patented scare list so you'll be prepared the next time the experts try to frighten you out of the stock market. Sell, sell, sell. That's how I feel after the market cascaded lower yesterday. On the rebound, fabulous today. Dow advancing 152 points, S&P gaining 0.96%, but the Nasdaq climbing 1.30%, crushing the hopes of short sellers everywhere. <laughs> Putting a kibosh to the doomsayers and the alarmists. Now, there's a rhythm to our business. When things are going well, we hear from people who are doing fine and like the market. When things are going badly, we're treated with a parade of pessimists who seem convinced that every downturn is a repeat of the Great Recession or the dot-com crash or even the Great Depression. <laughs> all right, I listen to them all. Nothing wrong with testing your thesis, but I recognize some of these people are really good at being dramatic. Hey, they should be on like a Netflix show called The Sky's on Fire. So I have an idea. I got to prepare for this stuff to happen again. So I want to give you the top five scares of this market right now because they're deployed strategically to keep you out of stocks. And you need to recognize when that's happening and you can parry them with confidence. Now, the first and finest, most ubiquitous scare. Oh, the coming collapse of commercial real estate and the banks that are hung by it. We're told commercial real estate is a trillion-dollar debacle that could cause a series of bank failures that pulverize the entire stock market. I know there are plenty of commercial buildings out there that really aren't worth anything, dead or alive. They're too old to fit into this era of rapid digitization, so no use keeping them alive. But they're not worth anything dead either because they're too expensive to convert to residential real estate or the cost of knocking them down is just exorbitant. They are indeed zombie buildings, and their owners have a real problem, and increasingly they are walking away from them. True. But who are the owners? 
Now, I, I thought it might be the real estate investment trust. I looked at some of the so-called worst ones, like uh, Vernado or or, or uh, SL Green, I mean, which I've told repeatedly are dead men walking. And all I can say is pass me the dead meat, please. This SL Green, a big New York City commercial real estate player that everyone told me was just going to die, is just crushing it. Now, I know uh, many banks are on the hook, but the large ones have already written these things down almost next, maybe next to nothing. The minor banks, sure, they're going to get hurt if things keep going badly. But other than New York Community Bank Corp, which was allowed to double down when it bought the failed signature bank by the Fed, no less, I don't see a lot of zombie fellow travelers. I, insurers own a lot of zombie buildings. So, but they've got a lot of mortgages, but rates are flying high. And they're all pretty well capitalized for any problems in the portfolio. So count me out for in the these guys are all going to get brought down by this. Besides, you know what? The whole commercial real estate catastrophe thesis goes out the window once more businesses get aggressive about pushing people to show up at work. And I am telling you, it is happening and happening all over the country. Second scare. The Fed's next move might not come soon enough to save us. Right, this one has a powerful impact because you can get days like yesterday where a host of seemingly smart people do their absolute best to scare you out of your wits when we get a spike in one line of the CPI report, in this case, rents. Of course, they'd say that scare you out isn't their intent. <laughs> but if they aren't trying to scare you out, why the heck are they always so darn dramatic? Why try to win the Academy Award for Best Bear in a cable news drama? Honestly, I don't want to hear any of these Fed-related worries because we're really in what's historically the best period to own stocks, the time between the moment when the Fed stops raising rates and the moment when the Fed starts cutting rates. The bears aren't worried about looking like idiots, though. See, uh, when they're wrong, nobody really cares because then they just say, look, we were just trying to be careful. I say thanks for rien, which is French for nothing. Third scare, we got two markets, the best, the best. And, you know, I'm talking there about the Super Six. And then the raggedy rest, the other 494 members of the S&P 500, the best of the raggedy rest. What do you think of that? What's the wrap here? We're told you can't buy a narrow market. It's a sign of danger, danger, danger. To which I say, well, what are you supposed to do if the market actually broadens out? I guess you can go in and buy stocks after everything's moved up from the broadening. But you know what? I'm more of a kind of buy low, sell high kind of guy. Fourth scare, the coming earnings collapse. Oh, you need to go back in time before earnings season. Began to read about how earnings were supposed to be horrendous this quarter. Forecasts even worse. I think I can count on one hand the stocks that actually did truly disappoint so far in earnings and forecasts. On any given day, you might have had upwards of 10 stocks that delivered fantastic quarters. Even companies that reported disappointing numbers often saw their stocks rally the next day. Hey, Lattice Semiconductor, what a stinker, right? I mean, terrible conference call, too. Gave you a miserable forecast. But bingo, the stock's up five bucks since then. That would have been a bad sale. Finally, there is the fifth scare, and it's one I take very personally, frankly. I take it to heart, even. It's the amazing rise of the stock of NVIDIA. Now I listen to people. By the way, I didn't know who NVIDIA was for the last, like, three years. Suddenly, they're, like, two years. Now they're on board. Now they know about NVIDIA. And they're treating the stock's ascendance as if it's some sort of freak show. Oh, we passed Amazon. That's not It's rivaling Alphabet. Oh, no, it's well ahead of Meta and Tesla. Woo, scary. You almost never hear that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe that NVIDIA, darn it, deserves the accolades. Never mind that they invented the chips that power artificial intelligence, something that could potentially transform the entire economy down the road. Now, I was talking to a very nice viewer. I, I talked to people. 
I mean, I, that makes me a little different from a lot of people on TV. I actually talk to people. I mean, like regular people. I called this woman on her 60th wedding anniversary to wish her happy anniversary. I threw in a happy Valentine's Day, too, because I'm a gent. And you know what she said to me? She remembered buying shares in NVIDIA back in 2017 when it was in the 40s. She bought it. Why? Okay, was it because I did this big analysis of the artificial intelligence? No, it's because I named my rescue mutt NVIDIA. And he actually answered to it, provided, of course, I had a nice T-bone in my hand. She said no one would name their dog after a stock if they didn't believe in the stock. And she believed in me, so therefore she bought NVIDIA. But, man, when I pounded the table in NVIDIA in 2017, I was hounded for recommending what looked like an insanely expensive stock. Kramer had lost his mind. People couldn't believe it. Darn things seemed to be selling for 100 times earnings. Of course, in retrospect, NVIDIA turned out to be selling for far less than the average stock in the S&P 500 because the actual earnings came in much higher than the forecast. Oh, but I should tell you this. The nice caller also has a male cat named Amazon and a female cat named Apple, and they're doing well, too. I reiterated the, the NVIDIA buy endlessly here to the point where people are really sick of it. And my staff was sick of it. I'm looking at my staff like, yeah, yeah, NVIDIA. Yeah, there it is. I mean, like, if you could, my executive producer says this incredible Valentine's Day uh, outfit. Can we, like, do we have any lights there? And she's like, yeah, enough, enough with the darn thing. She's like, go ahead, make the face that you just did when I mentioned NVIDIA. Go ahead, do it, do it. Just, can you turn this? You got to turn the camera. It's like, you got to go like, what did I? What, what face did you give me when I mentioned Nvidia? What'd you do? Yeah, there. See, that's what I'm talking about. Me? I'm talking about Wonderman. What is she talking about? That's the. That's what I get all the time. Now I know we don't buy stocks around here because they can power robot dogs to pick up Jello cubes and then reward the successful ones with treats. They have a sense of humor in NVIDIA. I saw that. I know you shouldn't recommend a stock simply because you spoke to a computer at NVIDIA headquarters, asked it to paint a seascape by Cezanne, thinking you could, you know, kind of fool it because Cezanne, he was really, really much more into still lifes. Instead, it used the same colors, the brushstrokes that Cezanne nailed when he painted that fabled apples and oranges with a touch of the card players thrown in. When I saw that dynamite Cezanne seascape, I knew it was the future. So I wasn't going to just say, hey, stick to Intel. Yet, I bet the vast majority of people who mocked me for pounding the table because I saw a seascape made by Cezanne did precisely that. So it's easy to scare people. And if you're a short seller, it's also profitable. You won't be called out on being wrong. You'll just be called on again the next time the market looks down or is down because you got something to say. But the bottom line, all I ask is that when those professional bears come on, could they just remember that this is not the day after Pearl Harbor, which, by the way, was a pretty dark day for the country, or the day when Lehman went under, or maybe when Fannie and Freddie rolled over? It's just business as usual. No need to pretend that the sky is falling or to yawn and mock me when I say to buy NVIDIA. Whole staff is yawning. <laughs> All right, let's go, to, let's go to Jerry in Illinois, please. Jerry. And a good day to you, Mr. Kramer. Sure, how you been? Uh, I'm a recovering vet uh, with some wounds, and that's how oh. I discovered your your show. I'm well, just hooked. It's an amazing show. Oh, thanks, Jerry, and I hope that you know I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you for Thank that. Thank you, sir. We try. You know, we try to put some humor in it, too, you know, Jer? And I'm thinking that, like, it's so odd to have, like, a kind of, it's, look, it's not like I'm Leno or Letterman or Carson or Fallon, but, you know, it's good to have some lively, you know, some upbeat stuff, don't you think? I, you're correct. I thank tell you. people I just had a bad day at the workplace, but I, I'm going to be okay. But thank, thank you for asking. And thank you for everything you've done, okay? Thank you for thank everything you, you've done. Sir, I have a question, again, 
I, I'm just fascinated with your show. Uh, want to invest in Uber? Mm-hmm. I think it's a good start for me. Would you concur? Yes, totally. Now, look, this stock uh, has had a run, but you know what? I am a huge believer in rideshare. Even Lyft had a good number today. I think rideshare is the future. I think, Jerry, this is a good level. I put on half a position now, and then I'd buy more if it came down because it's spit up a lot. But I like your thing, but more important, I like what you did for our country. All right? All right, it is easy to scare people out of the market, especially after days like yesterday. But you gotta remember that the sky isn't falling, and right now it's still just business as usual. And if you wanna laugh at me for liking Nvidia, be my guest. Well, man, buddy, tonight, Genrack is seeing a shift in the way people are living in a post-COVID world. I'm finding out what it is and how it could impact your investing thesis with the CEO. Then Airbnb's quarter gave us some hope about the strength of the travel sector. But I, I, do I still feel confident in the strength of the company itself? I'm running through the numbers to give you my take. And Cisco reported after the bell. I'm going to go straight to the source for details because it's looking a little light after the close. Do not miss my exclusive with the CEO, Chuck Robbins. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
What in the world happened to the stock of Genrec Holdings today? I mean, the company best known for making backup power generators, also batteries for solar energy systems, has seen its stock rally more than 50% since it bottomed last October. This morning, Genrec reported missing Wall Street's revenues and earnings estimates. Management's full-year forecast for 2024 fell short of expectations. Initially, the stock opened down more than 10 bucks, roughly 9%. But then shortly after the conference call got started, Genrec reversed sharply, even going positive a couple of points at one point this morning before finishing the day pretty effectively flat, down 0.3%. What the co- what caused the rebound? Which is right. Well, management talked about record levels of in-home consultation activity in January caused by the freezing cold weather. On top of that, activations, an indicator that's used as a proxy for installations, also came in at record levels in the fourth quarter. That's a fantastic indicator. So could this be another home energy story like we just covered with Enphase, Next Tracker, that is in the early stage of a much larger comeback? Let's check in with Aaron Yagdahl. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Genrec. Mr. Yagdahl, welcome back to Man Money. Good to see you, Jim. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Aaron, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I heard things today that made me feel like both long-term, certainly because of climate change uh, and problems with legacy infrastructure, but also short-term because of these uh, in-home consultations. You're willing to say that this may be the bottom of the residential cycle, and that the commercial cycle won't follow. It pretty could follow behind it with EBITDA positive by second quarter. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we, we think that uh, this was kind of a, you know, the fourth quarter was kind of a turning point for us. We've obviously had a field inventory challenge on the residential side of our business. The last six quarters, we've been fighting that, and that we think that's largely behind us here as we get through the first quarter of this year, get back to growing in the residential business, which is is exciting for us. Uh, and on top of that, you know, our CNI business has had, it's been on a tear. The last three years, Compounded annual growth rate of about 30%. I mean, it's a $1.5 billion business for us now. We are starting to see some softness and some cycles in telecom, national rental accounts here in 2024, but those are cycles. We've seen them before, uh, and we know the long-term secular growth opportunities in those in those markets are really intact. Well, you know, Aaron, I was looking at your, uh, the five-year chart, and it is hard to <laughs> We'd stop up the five If I were, I was thinking, if I were in your shoes, I would have like done, built triple the number of Genrex that you did. I mean, it was very hard, wasn't it, not to think that you wouldn't have this business looking for the chart, looking at the chart that would grow by four or five times, and that just was a very difficult position for you to be in. It was, and on top of that, you know, all the dislocations that were happening at the time and supply chains. So we were procuring a lot of equipment. We added a new plant. Uh, and, you know, we went after it in a big way. And, you know, I think when the dust all settled, uh, obviously, you know, there's a lot of interest. The company's twice the size it was pre-pandemic. So it's grown a lot. But we've kind of leveled off here. And we see now that, you know, the green shoots of the opportunities in the residential market to start growing. Again, the long-term setup is is still the, the same that it was before. You've got these kind of big, these bigger kind of mega trends, we call them, right? Mm-hmm. So you look at the, the changes that are ongoing in the grid. We're working to decarbonize the sources, right? We're replacing traditional thermal assets, you know, coal plants with renewable plants. So, you know, utility scale solar, utility scale wind, and that's great. The fact that we can do that cost effectively is awesome, but those are intermittent sources. And so the challenge, of course, is for grid operators to match those intermittent sources with now increasing demand. We're electrifying everything on the demand side. We're electrifying our cooking, our cleaning, and transportation, right? Heating. Talk about heat pumps, right? Uh, You can look at what carriers doing. You can look at what other companies are doing in heat pumps. And this is this is a a trend that we believe is going to be, you know, very evident in the next ten years. 
you're going to see grid operators struggle dramatically with trying to keep supply and demand in balance. And the outcome there is going to be reliability problems, and we're seeing it already. Well, we did at one point in this country never thought we would even allow reliability problems. But I guess the climate change imperative has made it so that we are willing to get ahead of ourselves. And the only bridge in that gap is Genrac. We believe so. I mean, you've got to have a backup plan, right? I mean, this is this is going to be the pain that every homeowner, every business owner is going to go through over the next 10 to 20 years as the grid changes, as we go through this transition. So how are you going to be prepared for that? And that's what our products and that's what our services are all about. And we think we're with everything that we've done, all the hard work we've done. And yes, we've had our own challenges over the last you know, couple of years, maybe getting ahead of ourselves, as you pointed out in some cases. But we've done a lot of work around assembling a, a, a suite of products and services. We, we really think we're, we're building an ecosystem, right? We're building an ecosystem around energy, energy in the home, energy in the business. And it's everything from generators to energy storage to uh, solar voltaic production to uh, energy management, right? EV charging, right? We've done a deal here with Wallbox, an EV charging company. So we think we have all the right products and services to be able to deploy this in a way that helps customers, helps end homeowners and business owners, helps them manage not only the reliability of their energy, but the cost and efficiency of the energy as well. Now, the, one of the things, I, I know that there's also, uh, people are li- living in their homes more. And it, it's, you can't, as you get older, it is unfortunate, but you can't have things go bad. You can't have the lights go out. You can't have the power go out. That's a new imperative for people. It is. And, you know, it's this aging in place concept, right? I mean, everybody wants to stay in their home as long as possible. So what are people doing? They're making changes to their homes to make them livable. And that includes adding backup power protection, right? Because as you said, um, you know, as you get older, it's not just about the inconvenience that an outage can cause, right? It can actually be dangerous, right? Not only just getting around in the dark, but a lot of people, they have home medical equipment. They, they have medicines that they refrigerate. Um, you know, just the ability to connect with friends and family when the power's out, right? Everything we have today is dependent on a continuous source of power. And if that's gone, that leaves you in, you know, in a, in a really dangerous position, in particular as you age. All right, one last question. If, you, uh, if rates go up dramatically, as they did really hurt Enphase's business, how much of your business with the consumer is dependent upon rates coming down? If rates were going to go down dramatically, wouldn't we want to just own Genrec for the sake of lower interest rates? You know, there are parts of our business that are interest rate sensitive. I would tell you that the residential standby business in particular is actually less so. Um, you know, you've, again, going back to the demographic we just talked about, older Americans, they, you know, they, they own their home, right? So a lot of times the home's paid off. Many times they're retired. So they're using excess savings to pay for these types of projects. So less interest rate sensitivity there. Our CNI business, more interest rate sensitivity there. So as interest rates do come down, Obviously, we think that that's going to be beneficial for the business overall, but probably more so on the CNI side than on the okay, residential. Commercial and, and industrial. That, that's very, very interesting. And contrary to what I thought, which is the way it was for Enphase. Well, look, I think just from the amount of stock that you bought this last quarter, I think the bottom's in place. We, and by the way, uh, th- when this thing takes off, it really does take off. So that's Aaron Yogfels, Genrex Holdings Chairman, President and CEO. Aaron, it's great to see you again. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Jim. Nan Money's back here from the break. Coming up, investors seem to want a vacation from Airbnb after the stock's earnings. But is it too soon to look for other accommodations? Stick with Kramer. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. How much longer can the travel boom continue? We've already gotten some yellow flags earlier this earnings season. Delta saw its stock got hit on a not-so-hot forecast. Well, that was more about higher costs, as the demand situation seems to be in line. Last week, Expedia reported an OK quarter with light guidance. Its stock plunged 18% the next day. Well, some of that, again, was probably because CEO Peter Kern was retiring. Which brings me to the stock of Airbnb, which reported last night. And this one came into the week pretty darn hot. After rallying nearly 60% in 2023, it kept cruising higher this year, hitting a new high just on Monday. So what did we learn from Airbnb? Well, the actual results, quite frankly, they were fantastic. Gross booking value rose 15% year over year, coming in better than expected. Uh, nights and ex- ex- experiences booked up 12%. They delivered a modest revenue beat with 17% growth. And Airbnb's earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, that's the key metric here. They rose 46%, came in well above expectations. On top of that, management announced a new $6 billion buyback, which is meaningful even for a $98 billion company. Bye, bye, bye! However, the stock still ended up getting dinged because Wall Street wasn't thrilled with Airbnb's guidance. Remember, it's sales and earnings and then the future. The guidance wasn't necessarily bad, but it was nuanced with management talking about slower growth versus last year. For example, for the first quarter of 2024, Airbnb said it had a strong start to the year and got it for $2.03 to $2.07 billion in revenue. That's higher than expected. Should have been positive, right? Not so fast. That forecast implies a year-over-year growth rate of 12 to 14%. That's down from 17% last quarter. Airbnb also said its first quarter revenue growth would be boosted by an earlier Easter holiday. Hey, but that benefit would come at the expense of growth in the second quarter when Easter usually happens. Plus, they're up against tougher year-over-year comparisons starting in the current quarter. But I think what really threw people wasn't any of that. What threw them is the fact that Airbnb said it wants to start investing heavily in growth rather than focusing purely on profitability, and they have been really focusing on profitability. See, according to management, there are just too many meaningful growth opportunities out there, and they don't want to miss out. Okay, I get that. As a result, they're looking to put up an EBITDA margin of at least 35%. That is significantly lower than the 36.8% number the analysts were looking for, let alone the 37% number they put up in 2023. So let's recap. Airbnb reports an excellent number, right, for the fourth quarter. Then the company said the growth will slow in the first quarter, basically from the high teens to the low teens. And for the full year, Airbnb expects to be slightly less profitable in 2024 than it was in 2023 because they're going to invest heavily in some new growth opportunities of which we don't know. Wall Street doesn't seem to be totally on board, hence the decline in the stock, although it was damn much worse at one point. Did it really make sense for Airbnb stock to get hit? Look, I understand why it went down. The darn thing was up 33% from its late October lows through last night's close. After that kind of move, you need to report a picture-perfect quarter if you want your stock to keep running. And there were some real imperfections here. 
But I also think people are myopically focused on some specific line items in the guidance rather than focusing on many of the positives we got last night. Remember, the actual quarter was great, right? Management said some terrific things about the demand environment. According to, to, uh, to David Stevenson, uh, after another COO, after demand cool, a cheap business up there, after demand cooled in October, it accelerated in November and then in December, and then it continued a strong pace in January. What's not the like? The only reason growth seemed to be slowing in the current quarter is the fact that they're up against more difficult year-over-year comparisons. Stevenson laid it out explicitly, quote, again, those harder comps were continuing to see strong demand for travel. I think we continue to see a very robust demand for people staying on Airbnbs versus just necessarily buying other things, end quote. And that's that services versus goods, okay? However, the real swing factor for the quarter last night was when management spoke about the next phase of the company's growth. Co-founder and CEO Brian Chesky explained how the company has spent the past three years perfecting its core service, launching more than 430 new features to help improve their home rental platform. And it's working. For example, Chesky pointed out that host cancellations decreased 36% year over year. So clearly they're doing something right. Two-thirds of Airbnb's hosts now offer discounts for week-long or month-long stays, which helps juice demand. Now that they've perfected the core service, though, Chesky wants to, quote, expand beyond the core, end quote. That's what all the extra investments are about. Airbnb is making an aggressive push into more international markets after some success in Germany, Brazil, Sweden. They're now going after Switzerland, Belgium, Netherlands. They're also making some investments in, yes, of course, AI. Now, it gives me no pleasure to say this because I've been backer Chesky. But Chesky's comments about expanding beyond the court to me felt vague. In his prepared remarks, he said that, quote, We've always believed that Airbnb was destined to offer more than just a place to stay, end quote. But he didn't give us much more on what more the company could do. I mean, it was mystifying. And when an analyst followed up on the subject during the Q&A session, Chesky gave a much longer answer about how he feels the new, gen- new class of generative AI applications are not compelling. But he still didn't really say what Airbnb will use AI for, other than improving their core home booking services. Too vague. So after last night's conference call, this feels like much more of a leap of faith story than it used to be. And that's saying a lot because it took a lot, it took a ton of faith to stick with Airbnb over the past couple of years. That faith has indeed been rewarded once the stock finally started roaring higher at the end of last year. But now they're asking us for another leap of faith. And, you know, that's, that's a stretch. That said, you know what? I actually am willing to stick with it. See, sometimes in this business, you have to put your support behind executives you trust. And I think Chesky is the real deal. And his team, they've earned the benefit of the doubt. But I certainly don't want, I can't blame anybody who wants to ring the register on a stock that was up 33% in three months' time. So here's the bottom line about what's become a more convoluted situation, frankly. Last night, Airbnb gave us a lot of reasons to feel confident about the continued strength in travel. Unfortunately, we didn't get quite as many reasons to feel confident about the continued strength in Airbnb. Company wants to pivot back to growth mode, but we don't have any explicit plan that lays out what they're investing in. For now, I'm willing to ride this one out because I believe in Brian Chesky and his vision, even when I don't know what that vision is. But this is a more complicated story than it used to be, or even just a few days ago. And it's one we need to keep an eye on. It's a trust but verify situation. Hey, you know what? Let's take calls. Let's go to Chris in Georgia. Chris. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Can you hear me? Yeah, Yeah, you sound great. Thanks for taking the call. Thanks for all that you and your staff, your great staff do. We really appreciate it. They are very so, good. Making me look yesterday look made me look great in Philadelphia because my hometown, so I felt terrific. What's going on? Uh, real quick, want to give a uh, shout out to my beautiful wife Charlene here on Valentine's Day. Definitely. Uh, this doc, I've got a question about. It's been trending down for quite a while now, and it's supporting a dividend yield of just over nine percent. Got a great dividend history, increasing payouts over time. 
So my question is, is, is now a good time to consider adding Leggett and Platt, symbol LEG, to my portfolio to generate some income as I approach retirement? Frankly, Chris, I am concerned. If it's not good for Leggett and Platt when it's good for Masco, it's good for Mohawk, when it's good for, uh, the, for Builders First Source, I don't know what to say. To me, it should have been good, and maybe the time has passed. I'm going to have to say pass on Leggett and Platt. And I used to think it was such a great company. Holy cow. Douglas in Texas. Douglas. Hey, Jim. Fourth-time caller, but this time I'm honored that your show called me to engage your intellect. Uh, I would love to guest on your morning show and discuss some economic theory that's been disregarded by talking heads, but today it's all about United Airlines. Despite being in a hated industry filled with losers, United has an, is an undiscovered best-in-breed star. I see them making 10 to $12 per share this year, but it only gets a PE of 4 Meanwhile, Southwest only makes a measly $0.76 cents a share and is commanding a P.E. of 48 Why the drastic discrepancy? And if fundamentals matter, should United be a $400 stock or should Southwest Airlines be a penny stock? Oh, look, that is an absolutely fascinating piece of analysis. I would tell you this. It's absolutely true. Southwest has not done well. And meantime, Scott Kirby has done a fantastic job at you all. I'm not a big fan of the airlines, but I will tell you this. I think that for a trade, you're dead right with UAL. It's a good one for a trade. All right. I'm willing to ride it out with Airbnb because I believe in the leadership team. But this name has gotten more complicated than it was a few days ago, and i got to keep an eye on it. Hey, more hit me about it ahead, including my post earnings exclusive with Cisco. What can the communication kingpin tell us about the state of our network infrastructure in the U.S.? And why is it dropping? I'm digging into the latest with the CEO. Then the constant chatter out of the Fed officials is, is wreaking havoc on the market, frankly. And I have a message for them that they don't want to hear and you don't want to miss. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. When Cisco Systems reported back in November, the company slashed its full-year forecast. Stock got obliterated. Then it came coming back. It just kept going up. Now, I was hoping that management merely wanted to reset expectations, getting all the negativity out of the way ahead of time, and that's what the stock seemed to be telling me. But I guess the stock wasn't telling me the right story entirely. Because when Cisco reported for the close today, it once again delivered better than expected results, but it was paired with tough guidance. In fact, they cut their full-year forecast for the second time in a row. Management also confirmed that they plan to lay off 5% of the workforce as part of a broader restructuring. So where's the bottom here? Do they finally have their arms around the problem? Will the new announced layoffs be enough? Hey, let's go straight to the source with Chuck Robbins, the straight shooting chairman and CEO of Cisco, who comes on the show in good and bad times. Mr. Robbins, welcome back to Bad Money. Jim, thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Good to see you, Chuck. Now, you did. You were very straightforward last time. You said, look, it's going to be a bit of a turn. It might not ha- happen as quickly as I know I wanted it. It sounds like that once again, after this quarter, you're still not necessarily there in the core business. May not be turning around even this quarter. Well, Jim, there were three things that we really saw. We, we saw... Uh, first of all, we saw more caution with our customers this quarter than we saw in the prior quarter, which led to our, our teams actually expressing more caution in their forecasts. Therefore, we have more caution in our guidance. The second thing is this whole notion of, of these elevated inventory levels that we have with our customers. The consumption of all that inventory is taking a little longer than we expected. That's the second thing we saw. And then the third is the continued weakness in our service provider 
uh, telco and cable segment, uh, which was down, orders were down 40% for the quarter. So those three things uh, led us to revise guidance for the, the, uh, the rest of the year. Uh, but we do believe that uh, we'll get through this inventory consumption issue by the end of 2024, and hopefully the other two issues resolve themselves soon, and we we see uh, some good times ahead. Well, let me put a different spin on it. One of the reasons why I like the story for 2024 is you're buying a company that I like very, very much, and I like the CEO. He did a fantastic job cleaning it up, which is Splunk. And I think once that deal closes, we're not going to be sitting here talking about service provider orders. I think you're right, Jim. And what we did announce today uh, on our earnings call is that uh, while it's still contingent upon final regulatory approval, because of the pace that we've seen with regulatory approval, we're now going to close it towards the end of calendar Q1 or very early in calendar Q2 is our expectation. So prior, we had thought it would be August or September. So that's certainly much faster than we anticipated. And then we get it we get excited about the opportunity to to drive the integration around our cybersecurity capabilities, to drive the integration around our observability capabilities, and we think we're going to bring some very unique solutions to our customers. At the same time, I saw you with Jensen Wong. Now, I know that people say, oh, come on, everybody's with Jensen. Actually, yes, he is a great spokesperson for AI, but there are deals that are made that are actually additive to the companies that he partners with. I know that when I said buy service now, when I saw him with Bill McDermott, the stock put on a couple hundred. You were with Jensen. What were you talking about? Well, Jensen actually approached me about a partnership, and and what he really wants to do is for us to partner together to build integrated technology stack that really simplifies the enterprise experience deploying advanced AI workloads. And so we met first in November, and our teams worked for three months on defining what that is. Uh, we'll take that technology and we'll continue to evolve and build next generation after next generation of, of capabilities. And then the plan is for us to leverage our enterprise go-to-market capabilities, our sales force and our global ecosystem of channel partners to actually deliver and install that technology and get our enterprise customers running their AI workloads in a much simpler way. So we're excited about it. We think it's, it's going to be a real tailwind for us as we get going. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, we think it's going to be a great partnership. Right, nobody likes to see layoffs, but at the same time, we saw when, when Amazon did some layoffs, when Meta did some layoffs, it did change the profitability of the company. Could this 5% uh, layoff make it so that, the, let's say, the earnings decline might be softened? Well, Jim, first of all, we never make these decisions lightly. As you know, you and I know each other well, and these are these are very tough decisions, and we're going to be spending time with our employees over the next couple of days just talking through this. But uh, clearly when you're, when, you're, when you're off plan the way we are this year, because of these issues that we talked about, we have to adjust our expenses, and that's what we've done. So uh, it won't be easy, but we'll get through it. Now, I've, I've been listening to the conference call of uh, Cadence and listen to the conference call of Arista, it does seem like to be that there's a bit of an air pocket right here. I'm trying to figure out why, if AI is so exciting and there's so much going on, there could be an air pocket in terms of ordering of equipment that had to do with AI. Any thoughts on that? Well, we've heard from some customers. Now, I haven't heard from enough to say that this is a a definitive trend, but we have heard from some customers that they are... um, they're holding back on some budget to be better prepared to actually invest in AI as they evolve and finalize their strategy. So there could be some truth to that. 
I think from our perspective, the network infrastructure is largely driven by this consumption issue that we see and a little bit of caution with all the dynamics going around the world in the Middle East and Europe uh, and with uh, elections all around the world. I think there's just a lot of things that have people just waiting a bit and being a little more cautious than they were 90 days ago. Well, last question. I'm concerned about the service providers. I don't know how you can be in a vibrant business with digitization happening all over the place and the speed of change and have that decline of orders to Cisco. It just seems to be that they must think there's much less of a future than I think you and I might have thought of a couple of years ago. Well, these have been great customers of ours for a very long time, and we spend a lot of time talking to them. And I, I would say that uh, over the years, we've always seen they would, they've seen complete revenue streams disappear, and then they rally and they resurge. And so I, I would never count them out. And I think that uh, we spend a lot of time right now talking about different solutions we can take to market with them, focusing on enterprise services that they can uniquely deliver. So I think we'll get through this, and I think over time they'll, uh, they'll see the 5G enterprise applications come to fruition, and I think they'll be fine. Excellent. Well, Chuck, it's great to have you on. Uh, thank you for telling us it is. And I think the real news here in this quarter is that, is that Splunk's going to close sooner than I thought. And then you can really work some magic, Chuck, and I know you will. That's Chuck Robbins, chair and CEO of Cisco. Bad Money's back after the break. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, time for the lightning round. Why don't we start with Jordan in Georgia? Jordan. Hey there, Jim. Good to be on the show with you. A new watcher as of the last four weeks with my wife, Laura. Excellent. Absolutely love the show. Have to go ahead and end up asking, though, what is going on with stocks such as Mara and Riot in relation oh, to... these are all Bitcoin plays. They're all bit. Mara's a Bitcoin play, and it doesn't matter. They're all going to go up. I say if you want to own Bitcoin, you should own Bitcoin. That's my, uh, that's my gift to you. And happy Valentine's Day. How about we go to John in Minnesota? John. Jim Kramer? Yes, John. Wow. Here's the question. If batting 700 home runs gets first ballot Hall of Fame, then, my friend, the way you raise everybody up every day, you are first ballot Hall of Fame American. I'm, I'm oh, wow. No hey, thank you. Thank you very much, man. I was thinking, is he going to make me guess whether those guys who, got, who juiced had all those home runs? But no, you're just being straight, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. We have a question on uh, uh, Walgreens. Uh, I'll hang up now. Okay, I'll tell you, Walgreens is so tough. I've been speaking about it with, with Jeff Marks, of course, my partner for the investing club. And I keep thinking, I like, I like Tim Wentworth so much that we have to buy it now for the trust. He says we got to wait another quarter. So we are going to wait another quarter, but we do think that it's coming near to where it is bottoming. So there's my gift to you. How about Brian in Massachusetts? Brian! What's up? Big Booyah from Boston. All right, Jimmy Chill says hi. What's up? All right. I was just wondering your thoughts on uh, First Watch Restaurant Group. I've held it for a year, and it's been serving up some profits. I'm looking for the long term here. First Watch? Man, I'm going to betray my ignorance. I do not know First Watch. I should know First Watch. Maybe I've even been to a First Watch, but I don't think so. I have an Apple Watch. 
Okay, let's go to Harine in Virginia. Harine. Hi, Jim. First time caller here. All right. You know, my favorite snack is a cup of tea with a side of man money. Oh, thank you. <laughs> my question is about one of the hottest products of 2020. It was how we communicated and got work done during the pandemic. Once a darling stock, it lost much of its value in the last two years. I'm talking about Zoom. I'm holding it at a return of minus 80%, almost. How do I handle this? I know. This you know, I'm just so torn on Zoom. You know, my stepson worked at Zoom, and it's such a great company. And Eric Yuan is such a fabulous CEO. I don't know what gets it going. I mean, does it have to have like $60 in cash for a $64 stock? But I don't know what gets it going, and it drives me crazy because sometimes you want the good guys to really win, and I can't think of a thesis to have it happen. Let's go to Jeff in New York, please. Jeff. Oh, hi, Jim. A long-time listener. I got a position in Anheuser-Busch, symbol B. I, I, I like Bud. I like Tap. I like Constellation brands, but people don't seem to like the beer companies. So I say, look, we own Constellation for the uh, Chapel Trust. That's the one I would go with. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, leave the riffs to the rock stars. Kramer shares how Fed officials can help home gamers next. The Fed guessing game is part and parcel with the portion of the market that I do not like. Today, we got some calming words from influential Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby about how inflation is not as bad as yesterday's CPI reading might lead you to believe. Tomorrow, the influential Fed Governor Christopher Waller speaks. He's been a bit of a dove, often warning about the risk of keeping rates too high. He'll probably be a win for the bulls, too. After him, who knows what the next Fed influencer will have to say. I call these Fed officials influencers because I hate how talkative they are. Hey, maybe they need more Instagram followers? I'm not sure we should suspend their First Amendment rights, and I know there's a blackout here where they can't address the public. But if I were running the Fed, I'd just tell them to stop giving speeches and start being the eyes and ears of their respective areas. No need to share this stuff with the public because it does everyone, and I mean everyone, more harm than good. This endless chatter from the different Fed honchos creates needless unpredictability. In an era where the utterances of Fed governors are followed blindly, they're doing us no favors. Instead, the Fed should speak with one voice. Right now, we have a very powerful Fed chief, Jay Powell, who first takes counsel of himself. You know that because he's incredibly transparent. He gives you everything you need to know during the press conference after the release of the statement. Sure, maybe Powell listens to the influencers. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he was heart sick about yesterday's CPI number. Maybe he was able to put it in a broader context that others don't see. It's very strange to me that most investors don't seem to recognize how Powell operates. First, he's a decent guy. A decent guy is worried about how working people are doing, how they can maintain their savings and their dignity while putting food on the table. That food can't be too expensive. Hey, same goes for the cost of shelter. Powell looks at all sorts of inflation numbers to see if your savings will be betrayed by inflation. He knows, though, that there'll be no savings without a job. So it'll go easy on the economy when we've got high unemployment. But right now, we've got a fabulous labor market, so we can fo- focus pretty much solely on inflation. However, if the unemployment rate goes over four, uh, especially because maybe we get some mass bankruptcy, something that potentially could happen, at least in the retail portion of the economy, then I think Powell wouldn't hesitate to start cutting rates. We're not there, though. And he's got no reason to cutting rates ahead of time. The risk being that inflation starts rampaging again. 
You don't know this, but I used to help a Fed official, a very high-ranking one, with his finances. He made it clear to me up front that he'd be a lousy client because ethically he couldn't own anything other than treasuries. I asked him if he could buy commercial paper once. He said no. I asked him what he thought would happen in the future so I could figure out where he wanted to be in the yield curve. He said it was none of my business. Well, then how was I supposed to help him? He told me I could work it out myself. He wasn't going to share his views because it would be a betrayal of the job. He only spoke to the chairman about his view, and that's it. Now, I know these days that sounds extreme, but Fed officials weren't financial rock stars back then. You know what? They shouldn't be financial rock stars now either. If you want to be a Fed governor or regional Fed president, maybe you should just forfeit your right to cause havoc, discord, and confusion in the markets. It's a shame that really isn't the rule already. But then again, it's never too late to change, and we'd be much better off if we just listened to Mr. Powell and didn't have to hear the discourses of the rest of the gang. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Kramer on this podcast are solely Kramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Kramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Kramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Kramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.